Hi, everyone. This is Sophie. And Tim. Welcome to another episode of Call to Farms, where we believe that regenerative farming and homesteading are not just a way of life, but a way to heal our planet and communities. Today, we will be discussing a topic that's close to our hearts, the new rich. You know, we believe that the true wealth lies not in material possessions or financial gain, but in living off the land, healing our families and our bodies, and creating a lasting legacy for our children by teaching them life skills they will be able to use in the future. In this episode, we'll explore the new rich, how to cultivate a mindset of abundance and gratitude, and practical tips on how to create a self-sufficient and fulfilling lifestyle through regenerative farming and homesteading. So sit back, relax, and join us as we explore the rich and rewarding world of regenerative farming and homesteading. So let's get started. Let's talk about Passover. It was a couple of weeks ago, but I think it's worth mentioning because it is an experience that I will never forget. It was the very first time that we harvested and processed a lamb that we raised all by ourselves. It was our second Passover dinner, but it was our first one that we actually hosted. Yes. And we had friends that came over, did it all in a moment's notice because, <laughs> yes, we knew Passover was coming but we didn't realize that we were going to harvest and process our own lamb at the time. No, in fact, we went to go visit our friends in the mountains. And they asked us, do you have a lamb? I said, well, yeah, we do. Oh, great. Let's, can we harvest the lamb? And I was thinking, yeah, you know what? We do have a ram, a young ram that's a little less than a year shy, old. Shy, yeah, right? a little shy of a year. So he was the perfect age, but I've been procrastinating because I really don't take any pleasure in processing animals. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that cedar dinner. So this was a really special dinner. It reminded me of how we celebrated Thanksgiving in the past. It was a celebration of Passover. So it was a very special dinner for, for us and what we believe. Right. And even more special was that we took part in being able to prepare all parts of that dinner from beginning to end including the leg of lamb that we ended up uh, roasting and it was so delicious and it and it felt so much more special in a way yeah we were taking part in this time honored tradition and we were harvesting the lamb that we raised on our Mm -hmm. own land and we were able to share it with friends who we really care about right and actually he was born here shortly after about a month after we got here so you know, we we know exactly how he was raised, how yep. much love and care he got. Um, and he had one bad day in his life. Yeah. And that bad day was really hard for me because harvesting animal is not easy at all. And even though I took part in helping others uh, harvest sheep in the past, doing this one on my own, and I was panicking at first because I was trying to seek help. This would have been the first time I did it all by myself. Yeah, because we've done it. <laughs> this is our third time, right? but we've done it together with the community, and it was our first time doing it by ourselves. and this was a different method. And I have, <laughs> this, I have this fear of, like, messing up. Like, I don't want, I want to get things right. I mean, I know I couldn't mess this up, but I also didn't, I didn't want this ram to suffer at all, and so I, you know, did some more research, and at the end of the day, I was able to do this, but to build up your nerve to do something where you're taking the life of an animal that didn't, you know, that was really hard for me to get over that hurdle, 
and psychologically, right? And well, I mean, it wasn't your first animal because you've also processed all of our chickens and turkeys and ducks. I, I so have. So how's that different? Okay, well, when I did the ducks in the past, remember I couldn't eat duck after that because it was really hard for me to, I did 22 ducks in a row and then I didn't want to do them anymore. I didn't want to eat it. And this ram is much larger than a chicken. Mm -hmm, Right. Well, you know, it's just, it's a larger animal, you know, just, it's different. But at the end of the day, after I was able to do it, it just felt, I felt really accomplished that I was able to do this and to ensure that he didn't suffer at all. The best part of it was asking for help with the community mm-hmm. and being able to, on such short notice, get a cooling trailer because I was also stressing out about the logistics and us not having ice chests large enough to store the lamb. But we were able to, at a moment's notice, borrow a cooling trailer from our neighbor. And he has this window AC unit built into the trailer with a cool bot. Once I got the ball rolling, I borrowed the trailer. I knew this was going down. We were able to get this all set up for the dinner. Mm-hmm. And so it was a really beautiful thing to yeah, be able, it was, when, it, when it came together. It was. And it was really delicious, too. Oh, yeah. We definitely enjoyed <laughs> We definitely enjoyed the lamb. You did a great job preparing it. And it was a really special moment to, we even ate outdoors and enjoyed the stars. Yeah, we took out the RV. Yep. And we had our friends stay with us overnight. And so we got to celebrate all throughout the night and the next day. And it was really just, it was good. It was very special. It's been a a while for us to celebrate. We haven't had many moments where we just kind of slowed down and, celebrate the fruits of our labor we've just been going go 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 and building up our homestead but this was a great opportunity for us to enjoy it Mm -hmm. we've realized from this experience how far we've come in just even a year that we've been here and actually we have a special youtube video that we're about to launch and it's going to be talking about our first year here in the mountains in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, We actually had a video on YouTube that we put up a couple months ago that went viral and talked about our our year in California and um, our move. But, you know, we've we've come a long way and we've talked in, in previous episodes before about how moving out here has been an accelerated learning curve where we feel like we're getting double PhDs in food and farming from the community here. Everyone is much older than us. They're in their 60s and 70s. And, you know, just hanging out with them, being with them and and asking them a ton of questions. We've learned a lot. And it's so different when we take a look back at where we were, what, three Mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. We had just gotten our first three egg laying hens on our quarter acre in the heart of Silicon Valley. And to where we are today, just three years. And I remember we were focused on having raised garden beds and making everything look real pretty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. Everything was very aesthetically pleasing. Which, there's nothing wrong with that. I do want things to look pretty. (laughs) But I also want things that are functional. And we we care more about growing the food now. It's always a balance between time and resources. Right. Yes. And you want aesthetically pleasing, of course. I do. I do want things beautiful. And and that's kind of, you know, I don't like, well, I haven't yet invited a lot of our 
<laughs> you know, new friends over because right. things don't look. We are. I, I preface. I preface <laughs> to say that we are a working farm. It well, is, and we're in. We're in the east side of the state, which is well, straight up in the mountains. And this yeah. is. You can't. It's have not nice things here. Well, it's not like the city where you can just before your friends come over, you just tuck everything in the garage or hide it in the bedroom, right, and close the door. So, yeah, it, it's a work in progress all the time. There's always projects on a homestead, and that's that's a working homestead. But what I was going to just mention, too, is that I am looking forward to this video that we're putting together because I want to show how we moved out here with no friends and family out here. We didn't know anybody. How did we insert ourselves in the Appalachian Mountains and <laughs> build a homestead as fast as we did with the community? And... I think that's going to be a truly special video. I can't wait to share that. Yeah. I think the hardest part and the part that we knew going into this was, I mean, the previous episodes we talked about how we were finding community and building community. And so we've been doing that for the last year on top of getting our hands in dirt, doing fencing and everything else. So it's, it's been Uh a very uh, rough, but productive year. Yes. And we have built a really great community, not just in the Appalachian Mountains, but even in the Nashville area, in the Asheville, North Carolina area, and just about Kentucky, since we're about to visit our good friends in Kentucky. We're just building this network. And we'll talk about some of the changes that happened because of 2020 and what took place then. But, you know, this Passover dinner was very symbolic for for us in Mm And just realizing and taking a step back because you have to. We we had a great celebration with our dear friends. We did. And taking a look at all the food, we realized a lot of this came from our land. We knew exactly where everything came from and, and everything tasted amazing. And we felt so blessed to be able to feed our friends and family well. Yes. And not just well, but yeah. nourishing, delicious food. That's something that, yes, we did that. It's priceless. Before, too, but it just is a whole nother level when you're able to say, not say, but you're able to know that this is all my heart. This is all of our heart, our blood, sweat, and tears, and hard labor so that we can enjoy this dinner together. And it just, I mean, nothing can compare to that moment. And I think that's when I realized this is the new rich that and is the new rich. Yeah. This is the new you, rich. You mentioned it to me. You're like, this is the new rich. I'm like, what are, what are you talking about here? You're like, this is the new rich. We're able to enjoy the food that we grew with our friends who love us for who we are. And this is such a special moment. And it just happens to fall in basically around the, the one-year time mark, too, that we've <laughs> been here. And, you're, you know, I've had my head down basically working, working, you know, building, too, and so have you that this felt really nice. Mm-hmm. It was really nice. Like, I want to I want to do it again. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So let's rewind and talk about where we came from to get to where we are now, because I think our definition of quote-unquote rich has sure. evolved. Yeah. So, Tim, let's talk about <laughs> how your childhood was like. And, and so Tim and I have two very different childhood stories. Mm-hmm. We grew up completely differently, even though, fact, we were born on the same day, yep. same year, yep. same month, same city, 
Just uh, different hospitals. Dis- different hospitals. Right, exactly. And Tim is three hours older than me. Yeah, because you wouldn't date a younger man. <laughs> I wouldn't date a younger man. So and, it worked out. But you were actually God. born a month premature. So I was. you really hustled to get out. I was premature. <laughs> Barely that <is> made it. Right. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so my childhood was... I would say it was way different than yours because I'm second generation. So what is second generation? Second generation means so my father was first generation. He was born in America. He went to Berkeley. My grandparents were immigrants, right? They came over on a boat from China. And so my father was able to essentially reap the benefits of being born in America, having a college education, working here. And so he was able to provide for his family. So when I grew up as second generation, I grew up in a, I would say an upper middle class home in San Jose. And I had toys just like with my growing up with my brother, I had the latest computers. I remember having those gateway computers and those cow boxes. And we always had food. I drank a lot of soda. I actually thought Coca-Cola was a sign of being <laughs> rich in a way mm-hmm. um, because I had friends that would drink you know when I go over to their house they would have milk water and I'm thinking why mm-hmm. can't you have coke and I grew up on coke and I would come home from school and I would have like a if it you know I would have a Marie Callender's TV dinner or a Lane Cuisine Swedish meatballs or cup of noodles and that was what I would eat I had a lot of packaged foods growing up I remember some of my favorite foods, which now are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I ate that. Like chicken and a biscuit. I don't know if anybody's remember chicken and a biscuit, but those are delicious. So I would just like lick the cracker um, or the Lipton chip, chicken noodle soup. You know, it came in a red box. I remember I was like, that's delicious. Never it's had it. Better than the Campbell's. Go for the box soup. And I grew up watching TV. I knew I knew the rice aroni. I knew the commercial jingles. And why'd you sing it? I'm not going to sing <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Rice aroni, a San Francisco treat. Ding, ding. <laughs> ding, Because they had that little trolley in there. Um, anyways, but I, I felt that, you know, okay, I had what I needed. I had the tools to succeed. I always had a, a nice backpack going to school. You know, I had a computer. I had musical instruments. I had things that to succeed in school. I always felt prepared. And yes, I did well. I did well in high school, went off to college, and went off to a prominent school, and so did you. But I would say after comparing notes, uh, well, actually, let's let's hear about your childhood. But I mean, I, I would say like even with your childhood, which you're about to, to tell, you caught up to where I was at because you have way more drive, initiative, motivation because of where you came from. So why don't you tell us your story? So my story is my parents were immigrants straight off the boat in 1975 from Vietnam. They left April 30th, 1975. And my parents' first jobs, they were making, my mom was a seamstress making $2 an hour. I didn't grow up with much. You're right. Any families that had Coke, I thought was rich. We never had that in our family. Never had soda in our family. If anything, we'd have it for Thanksgiving or Christmas dinners. And and my relatives would, would have it. It wasn't something we, we never went out 
we never bought boxed TV dinners. I always wanted to because of the TV commercials, but never had that. I had shoes that literally had the tongues. You know, I would wear them for at least a year or two uh-huh. uh, every day and never really felt embarrassed. I think I should. I knew I should have felt embarrassed, but I knew that I couldn't ask my parents for new shoes. But, you know, you, you yeah, my, walk in them and then in the front, they, they kind of like separate the soles and the shoes separate. You're giving dad, me this face. Well, I mean, my dad had that story. He told me back around. I'm like, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. He so, had that. And he said he would put cardboard in there. I don't know. So, I, so I'm first generation. Yeah. Right. I was born in America. I was born in San Jose, California. And... Um, it, it was tough for my parents. The cost yeah. of living then wasn't as high as it is now, but it was still in relation to how much they made. It was very expensive for them. I, I, even though, you know, I, I, I had backpacks that I wore f- uh, that I used for years. How I about those remember. mead chopper keepers? No, I no? had none of that. Oh. No, no. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, I forgot to even mention like on vacations too. So I, I, I went to have... Disneyland every year. Yeah, I no, no, I didn't. In fact, the only times that I went to Disneyland, <laughs> so I had to work really hard. I, I let me tell you, I'll tell you, I don't remember taking vacations at all. The only time that I could go to Disneyland was when I earned it. So yeah. in middle school, as a seventh and an eighth grader, if you were in advanced orchestra, yeah, you could fundraise and get a trip to Disneyland with yeah. uh, and um, compete with. Oh gosh, what is that? What is that? Do you you never competed in it, of course. No. Um I'm go, I go to have fun, okay? No, so so I so I had to earn my way to get to advanced orchestra in 7th and 8th grade. But okay. not only that, I hustled and actually got there in 6th grade. So it was just my friend and I as 6th graders and her mom was a violin teacher out yeah. of her home. And so obviously my friend did really well, but yeah. I competed with her and I got into advanced orchestra in sixth grade. So I went sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Right. And I was very proud of myself. Yeah, um, good job. <laughs> but, I'll, you know, even. I'll, I would tell you, like, how privileged I was. I was actually disappointed that we never, uh, every year that we would go to Disneyland, that we never stayed at Disneyland Hotel. Because I always wanted to stay there where the monorail goes. I always wanted to ride the monorail back to the hotel. And because we didn't, I actually felt like disappointed i can't believe like <laughs> oh, and i have story like your story where you had a fight and fundraise and i didn't just yeah. to go just to go probably rode on a bus and i yeah i go. did and i didn't get to go with my family either it was just yeah. me and a couple of like well it was all of the six you know seventh and eighth graders right with chaperones but my my even my parents never chaperoned and i'm they didn't want me to go on my own either but I earned my way. And same thing with college, too. They they did not want me to go clear across the country. I went to school at George Washington University in, in Washington, D.C. And I would say I was a responsible runaway, meaning I wanted to get as far away as possible from home. And the only way that I could do that was to get a full-ride scholarship. I did, too. I went to West Point. It's free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and who... <laughs> are you going <laughs> to... And who filled out your application there? <laughs> so I'm just saying, I really had to, I had to work. And I think you, you say that I caught up, right? I caught up to you as a second generation Asian American. You did. You quickly caught up. Yeah. Yeah. As a first generation born Asian right. American. That's right. But 
the drive that I had instilled in me because, right. you know, I, yeah. I grew up with you and literally, right? Literally, because we went to high school yeah, together, right. I was ironically, right? right? And I still out, let's just say, <laughs> I was an AP and honors student from ninth grade Yes, yes. On. Yes, in the classroom, but on the and track to field, I was way a- faster. <laughs> okay. 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 Great. I'm glad. <laughs> Priorities. Hey, we all end it. Let's talk about not the means, but the end. And, you know, like, how, we ended up together. That's all that matters. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter about you took honors or whatever, blah, blah, blah. We still got here together. We're doing life together. And congratulations. Honors to- doesn't help you homestead. Okay. <laughs> but, but that's kind of, you know, I think, I think if I talked about what I thought was rich when I was a child, it was what, how you grew up. Yeah. It was how a lot of the, my American friends grew up with soda and being able to eat out, eating at McDonald's. I think those were all privileges when I could watch from afar. I didn't grow up with that and forget vacations. Are you kidding me? I don't remember a single vacation from growing up to, um, till, till I went to college. And, and even then it was a whole, you know, it was a whole ordeal, but I didn't, I didn't ever get a break in that sense. It, and it, and you know what? It never dawned on me too. We didn't even. It's as simple as I never even got dessert after dinner. Before I married you, we didn't have like ice cream the way that you ate ice cream every day. You know, we we had dinner and that was it. And I was grateful for every grain of rice <laughs> that I had. No, no, I ate dinner so that I could eat ice cream. Yeah, yeah. It's it's we, we grew up very differently, and actually a lot of the troubles that we had and the challenges that we had in the early years of our marriage was, you know, yeah, we, we can, really we, we can laugh about it now sure, and how it's funny, but it, it really did define it our did. values right. and how different they are. And they were all really around food and what you were able to expect. And, uh, you know, but even though I grew up this way, I always, I, I I may not have had the Brio trains, the whole you know wooden train collection that you had. I never had brand new, you know. All, I didn't always have brand new shoes or backpacks. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't get to go on vacation, and I didn't get to eat all of your Marie Callender's pies or dinners and and lean cuisines. But every night for dinner, we always had dinner together. Mm-hmm. I always had a home cooked meal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was probably because it was more economical. But I cherish those. I, I never had to question, you know, what we we're going to eat. My mom always had dinner for us. And yeah. it was home cooked. You know, it's always something sweet, savory, salty, sour, all in one dinner. That's just how we eat as, you yeah, know. she cooks multiple Vietnamese dishes. Families. Yeah. That's just, that's just part of our culture. Right. And that I didn't come to appreciate until now. Exactly. As we have our own family and we're busy and working. And even though... My parents were busy and working. We always had that every night, and that I I realize, you know, as I'm as we're getting older, that 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 is my new definition of the new rich, and we'll we'll talk more about that. But but yeah, I think you know yeah. what, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know we we struggled personally. A lot of our early, a lot actually our first married our disagreements, yeah, yeah. Is, was centered around food. Yeah, yeah I remember was that food. distinctly. Yeah. yeah. And 
it it was because I thought you were really abusing your body by was it at least a full glass of Coke and two scoops of huge heaping scoops of vanilla ice cream. The Coke was not dessert. The Coke was the Coke wasn't dessert. The Coke was part of dinner. But oh, you're right. The okay, we had a lot. Of, I had a lot of ice cream because that's growing up. That's what I came to expect to have ice cream. So I remember one of our first disagreements was because you said, "Hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't eat so much ice cream." And I said, "Yeah." Why are you trying to take away my joy? Yeah. You literally associated it with your joy. And I remember that very distinctly because it was a very sensitive topic. I knew it was a sensitive topic and it was really challenging for me to bring that up to you. And immediately you switched to why are you taking away my happiness? Yeah, because at that time, too, I'm young. I'm in the army. I'm in I'm pretty fit. So so what if I want to have ice cream? And so at that time, obviously now. Yeah, but <laughs> well, now you can have ice cream, and that's another episode. <laughs> I can have ice cream. Yes, our from the cream from our own jerseys is special. It, it's actually delicious. I doubted you at first when you said, "Honey, let's try making our own ice cream." I'm like, "How can you replace Ben and Jerry's?" <laughs> well, um, that was but, actually how I convinced yeah. you to bring home a <laughs> dairy cow for me was because right. I had you try the ice cream first. Yes. At our friend's house. And I said, hey, this is raw, fresh ice cream straight from the cow. And it tasted even more amazing. That's right. Food can be healthy and delicious. And so so much more delicious. That's right. Yeah. So let's go back, though, to what you mentioned. Why are we identifying this as the new rich? And I think for everyone, for us especially... It was in 2020. It was a fork in the road. And there was a question that everyone had to answer to themselves. Whether or not they realized it. That question was, are things going to go back to normal? I think everybody who was of decision-making age had to answer that question, regardless of where you were in your life. Because we heard it all the time. You know, we, we chose... A more, I wouldn't say it's a more difficult path because I think those that chose that things are going to go back to normal, yep. there are those, difficulties yep. as well. Definitely. Not saying one is right and one is wrong, but for us, it was something that was drastically, it, it woke us up and it made us ask us some very difficult questions and made us make some drastic changes in our lives. Because the rich in our minds at that time before mm-hmm. yeah. before making that decision was basically what I had envisioned in my mind of following what my dad did. And it was work really hard, have a great career, earn as much money as possible, afford nice vacations for your family, and save up for our children's college education and create a lasting legacy that way. Yeah, it's very much a... Keeping up with the Joneses, and even more so because we were in a very unique pocket of the world in right. Silicon Valley. Barrier, where right. It's not just keeping up with the Joneses. It's keeping up with the Joneses, the Smiths, the... <laughs> everybody. The Chens, the... The nice home. <laughs> the yeah, winds, the... <laughs> everybody should have, you know, two nice cars. Uh, two Teslas. Okay, now it's Teslas, right? His and hers, sure. right? I mean, it's... And, and in a way, it's... it. 
let's talk about the pros and cons of that. And I'll, I'll take, I have to look at that and say, well, pr- I'm grateful yes. for that because it really taught us how to think outside the box. It does. And it, it really, really lights a fire mm-hmm. in, inside you to be a competitor. Yeah. You don't, you're not a slacker when you're in the Bay Area. You, oh, you are going, can't be. You got to compete. Even if you're broke, you're, you're going to be working. Well, it, it, be working it doesn't hard. matter what your job is in the Bay Area. Doesn't matter. You have to be the best at it. White collar, blue collar, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You exactly. got to be the best. Exactly. And you have to show people you are the best. Mm hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I would say both of us were at the top of our careers. We had grown our real estate business. Yeah. Um, also, it was 2020, 2021, when the market was just going wild. And we had our best years in business. We took off. We, we did way better than the realtors that were in the business for 30 yeah. plus years because they were forced to innovate. And we used tech, and we were able to ramp up quickly. And I think you you mentioned it to me. It was almost like on a racetrack when you're making that turn, mm-hmm. and we were able to zoom past. Yeah, because we you know we did track before, mm-hmm. but yeah. So that it's just hugging the corner, hugging the corner, and just taking off. And so our best years were during 2020, 2021. Yeah, yeah. it's that centrifugal force, right? Uh-huh. It's being able to just. Turn the corner as quickly as possible with all of your, uh, just everything you got. And that's how you accelerate. So that, t- so that time, it taught us to fight. It taught us to not be afraid to fail. It taught us to innovate. Yes. It taught us to, it, it really separated the wheat and the tares. Yep. And in, in a number of ways. And we really... I think for us, the way that we do business is how we do life. I don't think that you and I separate that in that to the best of our ability, we operate and we we want to serve others. Well, it's part of who uh, up, we are. Up until the point where if there is a conflict of our values, you and I both honorably will make the decision to walk away. Yeah. And this is a tough one for us to talk about. Like, mm-hmm. let's just talk about it and see if it makes it into the podcast. All right. But in 2020, we were in the Bay Area, Walnut Creek, specifically Walnut Creek, California. And John Mura Hospital had sent a note out to all of the local families to say, hey, we don't have enough N95s, so we'll take your homemade masks. That's right. And I remember going... You rallied. I rallied because I said... If our local hospital, and John Muir Hospital is one of the top rated in not just the Bay Area, but in the the country, if they are asking for help from the locals to start sewing masks, they said they will take handmade masks. And they're hurting. I was like, we are in trouble. Yeah. And I have to go, I have to think about protecting our own locally because we take care of our parents. Right. And And they're compromised. We did everything we could to help. Right. And so it was a Rosie the Riveter moment for me. And I rallied up all of our local friends, our church, moms right in our local church who are actually, you know, grandmas to start sewing the masks because, you know, we're in trouble. Like not just in Walnut Creek, but down in San Jose where our church was. And we wanted to help out the community. 
as much as we mm-hmm. could. Yeah, as we already had the materials in our house. We had the uh, organic cotton. We had the elastic bands. And so we just put that together and sent it off to actually some of our clients who worked in the healthcare field. Yeah, we created a mask business out of it. And then we created a mask business with a couple of our friends. This has been, this is tough. So I don't know if it's going to make it in the podcast. Yeah. But it it was a really tough decision for us to step away from it in 2021. So about a year later, or maybe not even a year into the business, I think it really hit us that this was not, again, it goes back to the fork in the road, right? Do Uh, we believe that things will go back to normal or not? And our values changed drastically when we realized that wasn't just a temporary thing. This, yeah, this wasn't just a two-week quarantine. This wasn't uh-uh. one year. It wasn't just U.S. It was global and on another scale yeah. that we really had to take a couple of steps back, took a trip up into the mountains to clear. Uh, I mean, I, I had to I had to get away yeah. to the mountains to kind of get some clarity around what is going on in the world right now and is this something that is helping or hurting what our values what we stand for we couldn't get answers we could not be explained what was going on really it was it was a lot of prayer a lot because for me it was a big deal we had our friends that we were in the business with fundamentally when your perspective on what's important differs it was a tough decision to make. I think it was a, such a difficult, and it, I know a lot of people across the country probably had these difficult conversations with family and friends. A lot of the issues that have taken place in the recent years yeah. between friends and family, unfortunately, yeah. it's that one fork in the road question of do you believe things will go back to normal or not? And then, mm. what is your definition of normal? Yeah, the new normal now. That's a tough conversation to have with anybody, even with family. So, of course, with friends, it friends that you're doing business with, it's it's tough. So, once we realized that maybe things weren't going to go back to normal, and we are being catapulted into this new normal, yeah. whether we all wanted to or not, that we made the decision to take a step back. My background is in growth marketing, yeah. and I have a master's in clinical psychology. I always want to understand, I even have, I even spoke at a conference, what makes women and men click online and off. And I've always been interested in understanding why people do the things they do and how we can help guide people in a good way, right? I'm always thinking about like ethics of marketing. But I realized that the playbook was exactly the same as how I do growth marketing. And that, to me, was a moment that I realized, okay, this is how I market. This is exactly how I would sell a product, and I'm not going to go down this road. I can identify every single step, and that this is not going to end well. It's just pushing too hard. That's how you woke me up, too, because up until that point, you know, I was in the military, I was in the Army, and I just listened to what I was told to do. If it weren't for the fact that they pushed the message so hard that I could not get away from it on the radios, on TV, it was when I was pumping gas, it was on the billboards for construction, you know, along the... I think it comes down to it. It's the messaging of fear. Let's go back to 
you know, having that question of, do I believe that things will go back to normal or not? And it was a question that every single person had to answer for themselves. Yeah. But it was this question that made us change the trajectory. We took action. It made us realize that the way that we were going to build a legacy for our children and to provide for them completely changed. It is uh, completely I, 180. Completely changed. It was before we were focusing more about how much money you could save and build up in the in our children's college 529 account. But now it's more about how many how many skill sets can we gain together as a family so that they can take these skill sets and apply it in the future and we can be rest assured that they're going to be taken care of. It's about how we can make our children recession-proof. Yep. During 2020, in March, you had real estate clients and I had real estate lending clients. And almost instantaneously, my clients that worked at Facebook and Google and Roku, they literally lost their borrowing capabilities overnight. The banks stopped lending to them because they were now deemed a risk it didn't matter how much money they had in the bank, didn't matter how much their salary was, which are primarily the qualifications that I used to get them qualified. Yeah. So it was in that moment that I realized our children and how I want to teach them and how we should be raising them for their future careers should be around how to make them be an employer rather than an employee, a producer instead of a consumer. And that was the biggest takeaway for 2020. So I, as much as 2020 was a crazy year for us and yes. shook us, yep. I am extremely grateful for the new perspective that it has given us in our life and how we want to show up for the world. Also, how we want to teach our children. Yeah, that is the silver lining, teaching our children to be producers rather than consumers. I liken it to the adage of teaching them how to fish instead of fishing for them. If we can teach them how to fish instead of just bringing the fish to them, we've equipped them with life skills. And the beauty about homesteading as a family is that we are learning the life skills together. We are creating lasting memories. You didn't have vacations before. <laughs> this is sort of like a vacation in a way mm -hmm. where we are gaining new skill sets. And this is something that they will never forget. Yeah. And they're going to be able to directly apply these skill sets to be entrepreneurial, to create their own businesses in the mm -hmm. future, to be recession-proof, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. That's the new American dream as we see the tsunami of people who are leaving cities and building their own homesteads now. So how has perspectives changed in regards to that? I know, I've noticed it like more, even more recently. I mean, I was just washing the dishes today. Yeah. I was smiling and I said... We just, you guys got to choose to be happy. It just was a moment that I, I realized, you know, we get to do these things. It's, it's not chores. We get to plant these, you know, we, we get to milk the cow and we get to meet our community. Yes. In fact, one of our great friends who is in our community, her husband loves ice cream. So we barter with cream, but she just handed me about 20 peppers, 10 tomato plants, loofahs, and watermelon plants that, you know, I'm going to be able, and they're about six inches yeah. tall already. They're in medium-sized pots and they're ready to go into the ground. Right. And I just, I'm so grateful that mm -hmm. we get to do this. Yeah. I think our perspectives have changed quite a bit. 
I know our lifestyles changed significantly being homesteaders, but choosing to be happy, that's something that you told me to do before. And I just said, I just kind of laughed it off because sure, how can I be happy when I'm in the middle of doing all these things or, you know, doing chores? How can you choose to be happy? But what brought it home for me, at least, was our interactions with John and Maggie. They are our mentors. They've been doing dairy for over 20 years of experience in raising jerseys. And they took us under their wing and they spent the time and in, in just about a year taught us what we needed to know and how to care for cows and just literally held our hand through the entire process of bringing home our own dairy cow because up until then our largest animal was sheep. And if you told me I was going to move up to an 800-pound animal, I would have said, no way. I mean, I'm from the city. And you tell me I'm going to be able to milk now? And that was, it's such a, it's a huge like mental leap from chickens. People get chickens <laughs> and they get goats and sheep. And then how do you make that leap to cow, right? And, and it's not just like beef cattle where you don't have to really interact with. No, this is, now you have a dairy cow that you're going to interact with on a daily basis. And we've learned how to milk them, how to take care of them, you know. This was huge, and it was built up our confidence. John and Maggie were just, oh, they were a godsend. Having a dairy cow is priceless. I mean, it is the center of every homestead because this is how you sold it to me. Well, that's <laughs> was, how Maggie Maggie talked to me. Yeah. And I said we had goats and sheep and chickens and turkeys and, and ducks dogs, and yeah. dogs. And she she's like, oh, that's great. That's great. Um but you don't have a homestead. No. And I was like, what? What do you mean? She said, the dairy cow is the heart of the homestead. It's the crown jewel. Our neighbors in California, we bought our milk from them. They just made it seem so daunting that they had to milk yeah. every day. And it was a struggle to get her in. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, like be careful, you might get kicked, no, you know, no. in the face. All these things, and 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 then you know, what do you do with the? They had a whole fridge full of milk, and I just thought, oh, okay, well, what's the point of I don't want that. having a dairy cow? Like, yeah. you have to do this every day, and then you have a boatload of milk that you're is just sitting in the fridge. And to me, you know, it's great. Like, I'm happy to support the local farmer. I did not ever think that we were going to bring home a dairy cow, but when she said that we weren't really homesteaders, and that's a tough, that's a tough thing to say. Just but she said it very gently. I mean, but um, and I and I don't mean that to you know for for anybody listening. If you don't have a dairy cow, you know, and you're homesteading, you did all the things. Like, don't let that yeah. make you feel like you're any less. No judgment. Absolutely no judgment. <laughs> but what she meant to say was, the dairy cow is the crown jewel of your homestead. Yeah. Meaning she provides you and your family with milk, butter, yeah. and yogurt. Yes. Every other parts of the milk that you don't use goes out to feed the other animals. farm animals yeah. and also the garden. And I remember at that time, the prices of feed for our chickens and our ducks and our turkeys was going up, not to mention cost of fertilizer was going up too. And so I thought, well, I guess, I mean, brilliant financially, I think that would be a step forward in self-sufficiency, but I've got to get you on board. Right. And I remember zero waste. I told you in June last year, I said, 
hey, I think I want a cow. And you were traveling, so you... Well, you're crazy. You were, we were FaceTiming, and you turned your face into a cow. I did. And it took a screenshot. Yeah, I the phone made up. me a cow, yeah. I was like, there's a cow. Well, Maggie made it really simple because she held our hand through the entire process. Oh, yeah. We spent time at her farm. We even, you know, even our kids had hands-on training, too. We learned how to milk a cow, and... It wasn't as scary as we thought it was going to be. Yeah, we had about six months of hands-on training, not not thinking that we were going to bring home a cow, but that we, again, it was it's hard for us to take on something like that. Plus, we just have five acres. So it's not like we have a ton of land. But, you know, actually, we've done really, really well with, with that in retrospect. Yeah. But, you know, it's just a huge undertaking. It's a lifestyle change. The second you bring on a dairy cow into your life, she becomes a member of the family. She does, yeah. You love her as much as you you kind of appreciate your mom because she does. She takes care of you, your family. She takes care of the animals, yep. the land. And she also takes care of the community too. And our yes. community buys in shares of the cow. All that well, to say, our perspectives changed. Well, it changed because we had such a great experience with her teaching us these skill sets. And we gained our confidence to the point where we obtained three cows of our own. And then we were faced with the hard news that she has cancer and she's been battling cancer. Yeah, actually, the day that I reached out to her when we moved here uh, for her milk was the day that she told me, and I think I was amongst the one of the first few people that she had said. And it's been a year of being with Maggie. Yeah. And she's been fighting it holistically too. And just, right. she's know. been such a bright light, just an example of facing adversity and just being a true fighter through this. And she's, our perspectives has changed this past year, just watching how she deals with this, how she's dealing with it and how her husband is dealing with it too, because now he has to step up even more and he's such a hardworking man. He works all day long, goes to work and comes home and has farm chores. And now on top of all that, because of Maggie's condition, he's doing all the milking and yet he still has such a positive attitude with everything going on. You know, any outsider who would, who knew their story or could see what they're doing would think how in the world could they even choose, as you mentioned, choose to be happy. And yet he does it day in and day out. I interact with him and it is, he is truly an inspiration for me. You know, he's in his, I think he just turned he, 60, 60. Yeah. Man, even at that age, like he just, I can't believe the energy he has and he jokes around with me and he he just loves life. Mm-hmm. He loves life when his wife is battling this life-threatening mm-hmm. thing and and he's having to work so hard. And to me, he's just an example, like a, a man of God and someone who I want to emulate and... I know Maggie has taught you so much through her words, but John has taught me so much through his actions. And him, 
along with a few other homesteaders here, have taught me just that is the, the disposition you need to have to be successful on the homestead, to lead your family. You've got to choose to be more positive. And that's my biggest takeaway because this year has been all about health and God has given us great examples, like living examples of what it means and how we need to take better care of our health in terms of not only just what we eat, but how we do life, Mm -hmm. how we approach our chores, how do we approach projects that we need to do on the homestead because projects are never ending. (laughs) But with a a positive attitude, things will get done. We can stay healthy and our children can learn from us and we can pass that down. So it's not just about passing money down. It's about passing down the attitudes, passing out your, your cheery disposition on how you approach life. How do you approach, you know, um, adversity challenges? Because there will be challenging days on the homestead but it's how you overcome them. And that's something for me, you know, I was taught at West Point and taught in the military how to overcome challenges, but (laughs) challenges come in different sizes and different shapes. Homesteading, being married, having a family, there are challenges every day and it's just how do we approach them? And if approach them in a more positive attitude, that's half the battle that's like that's how we're going to resolve a lot of things and how we're going to be able to push forward and move forward for our family and set a good example for our children so it's a really powerful thing Mm -hmm. 2023 all about health i agree with you i think this year in particular i feel like almost like the the time hasn't moved that fast like this year has been quite a long year But we have done so much, and I'm excited for the video to just recap what we've done. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, we we move so fast, we don't slow down and recognize how far we've come. And I'm excited for what's to come this year. A lot of things are coming, and we've been trying to quietly build. I think about the children, and I think about how we want to teach them. We've homeschooled our children since the very beginning, what, six, seven years ago before it was quote unquote cool. And it it wasn't very widely accepted at all in my tech industry. In fact, my VP of marketing, she made a comment about how I was still able to homeschool while I was working. And um, I was so offended. I was managing $3 million in ad spend for the company. And instead of asking me how I was managing my campaigns and how well they were performing, she was asking me how I was performing in my home life. We homeschool because we want them to have a holistic view of the world. And I want them to start asking, know the questions to ask. And I think you make fun of me and say that it's a pain sometimes to talk to me because I just keep asking why, 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 why? Just, oh my gosh. When I grew up in my household, it's because I said so. And then I I was in the military. It was your order to do it. You just do it. And oh my gosh. You, you ask why you were a speech and debate champion too. So I, <laughs> I don't even stand a chance. You ask all these why. So I feel like every time I, I, I come up with an idea or if I want to talk to you about something, I have to have all the justifications ready to go. Just come with data. Oh gosh. <laughs> data. 
Back it up. <laughs> but I will say that is a good thing because you're teaching, you know, their children to do the same thing. To right. not settle and to think critically, which mm-hmm. is... I think if you just ask why five yeah. times and you just keep asking why, why is that? Why is that? Why is that? You'll get to the truth. I mean, we learned that in psychology, actually. When yeah. I was doing marriage and family therapy, you uh-huh. just kind of subtly ask why. And why is that important? And why? Why? And you get there. That's what people like to talk. But you get to the root of the matter. Right. I think that for us, being able to homeschool and teach the kids to be well-rounded, people often say like, well, I would homeschool, except that I want to socialize my children. And I'd say that our children are more socialized and socialized in a way that they're prepared for the working world, Yeah, where your boss could be younger than you, or you could be the oldest person in the room, or you could be the youngest person in the room, and you can feel comfortable in your own skin, because that's how it is in the real world. And when you are put in a situation where you're only with your peers that are the same age as you, rather than aptitude or mastery of subjects, mm-hmm. that's not the reality of the world that we live in today, unfortunately. And so we try to prepare them. And then, of course, like being from the Bay Area and entrepreneurs ourselves, it's really important for us to teach them how they can be entrepreneurs, not just like out of these STEM programs in these private schools, but think about like how we are going to holistically raise these children up. Yeah, you get more time to be able to hone in on these skill sets. So that is good. But before we wrap up, I want to mention why listeners are hearing the chick in the background. You can hear little scratchings and chicks like in the sound quality you're listening to. Yeah, I'm probably not going to be able to edit that out. Yeah. Why? 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 Why do we have a chick, a baby chick in our kitchen for the past week? Well, because we didn't have any other place to put the chick. Yes. How did the chick get here? (laughs) We had a broody hen. She's been broody for a month. And she hatched her first chick. We were so excited. Oh, my gosh. We we couldn't use incubators, but look at nature finds a way. Yeah. And we were so thrilled. (laughs) So, so again, just to go back, like we brought our chickens from California. They were a heritage breed, which means um, they had rainbow colored eggs, all of them. Beautiful. Beautiful eggs. And um, perfect for photos. However, that's all that mattered. (laughs) However, their meat was really small. (laughs) And so when we made them into stewing hens, there was barely any meat on them. Nope. Typically, they become stewing hens after two years when they stop laying their eggs. A little bit older. Yeah, two to three years. When we got here, we, we bought about 20 buff Orpingtons. Yep. And they were at the end, they were about two years old when we got them. Okay, so we knew that this year we were going to have to either incubate eggs or we were going to have to hatch some chicks. Yep. So we did the latter and we hatched a chick. And so when we saw that, we were so excited. We moved her and her clutch of eggs into our little brooder area. Yep. And she sat on them and we waited four days. The next day I found a chick because I got excited and I found, unfortunately, a dead chick. So I took out the dead chick and I took out the egg shell and I was super bummed at it because I was like, oh no, I, I, I made it this whole way. And I then, remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was super upset. And then we waited another three to four days 
and I posted up some videos on Instagram and someone said, wow, congratulations that you hatched your chick and mama did well. We had a broody hen and she killed all of her chicks except for one and only because we saved that last one when we realized that she was killing them all. And so I was like, oh gosh, I hope that isn't the case, but let me go check. Yeah. And when I checked, she had, there was another dead chick in the corner and I took that one out. And then there were two more eggs that were starting, like you could see the hole was pecked. So they were starting to come out and they were starting to hatch. Yeah. I checked on her a couple of hours later and I did see that a chick had hatched, but looked like it was really injured. And so I quickly grabbed that chick and made a brooder in a cardboard box with some water. In our kitchen. In our kitchen, because we already used our brooder (laughs) for the broody hen who's killing all of her chicks at this point. So anyway, we nursed that one back to health. And now, and it was pecked, like its wing and its head. And we actually did not think it was going to make it. So we're really glad we saved that chick. Now, here's the thing. She hatched one chick. And since then... I believe that she thinks all of her other chicks that are hatching have become predators or intruders. So So she'll peck them to death. Yeah. Uh, And in speaking with a few other friends of mine, I've realized that all of these chicks that people raise, including ourselves, we raise them and they've all come from an incubator. Mm. They've all come from fertilized eggs that have been put into an incubator for about 21 to 23 days. And once they hatch, they get shipped off to the next family. So what? Unfortunately, through that process, that means that they've been bred out their mothering capabilities. They don't know how to be a mom because they didn't have a mom that held them under her wing, literally. Yeah. The chick that is born and she has taken under her wing, she will be in the future a really great broody hen. If it's a she. If it's a she, yes. (laughs) Or a really coddled rooster. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But it just made me realize as a society, in Mm. a way, what other things have been bred out of us. Yeah. You know, because now we find ourselves returning to our roots and going back to what's important, what our ancestors did, what are kind of our instincts as a dad and as a mom, what those instincts are as we raise our own littles underneath us. So, yeah, it just makes me Hmm. really think about the similarities about what we're going through here. That's a good observation. Mm -hmm. Learning so much every day. Oh, yeah, the farm life. Yeah. Who knew you can learn some more about chickens? That's interesting. (laughs) So go ahead. Let's circle back to what is the new rich. What is that definition? I think for me, it's that self-sufficiency is the new rich. You know, we're able to eat the nutritious food from our land. Mm -hmm. And that means, you know, it was just a morning breakfast of Vietnamese yogurt made fresh from our milk, that from the cows in our backyard making homemade granola, cooking nutritious meals from our pasture-raised animals that we raised and harvested, Mm -hmm. like we had for Passover. Yeah. Um, And then not only that, just blessing those around us with the nourishing food because that's our greatest form of love. 
were self-proclaimed foodies from the Bay Area. And there's nothing more than not just great tasting food, but knowing that it is the best nourishing food of the animals that we took extra love and care with. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of our little bit of our Asian background too, showing our love through food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But taking it to the next step and we now have a better understanding of what is nourishing food as well and just providing the best and that is our best and providing it for our community for our friends right good yeah. clean food that's going to nourish your body so you can be yeah. more productive and there for your family and healthy i mean that to me is if i can do my part in our little way then that's our heart. That's our love. That's, uh, that's how we show you we care. That's priceless. It is. You can't buy that. Right. And that's what we say all the time. We say that about our ice cream that we make from our own cows, or butter from our cows. You know, we say, you can't buy this. No. It's priceless. Yeah. We don't sell our ice cream yet. It's the best tasting ice cream. That's why it's a new rich. And it's helped us gain a greater appreciation for the simple things. Mm-hmm. in life yeah we're not running the rat race anymore we gave up that no. that life we still we, we do. still, we still work. have our business yeah but it's being able to block out all that other noise when our jobs is not our life anymore our jobs is just a means so that we can do what we actually love doing and blessing our loved ones friends community with great food mm-hmm. it's as simple as that yeah and we literally made that 180 change from that fork in the road that's right that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So it's the one less traveled for sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, it's been interesting. Yeah, it's been a good several years. But it's been a good year in particular from realizing that we now can sustain our own homestead yeah. off of our dairy cows. And it is the best tasting food we've had. It's kind of ruined us for eating out at any restaurant any top michelin rated restaurant i would say because we've eaten at many of those restaurants in california and la and orange county but there's just nothing that beats the quality of the food and i don't know if it's because of the love or the way we raise them we blessed our neighbor with some and he texted back to say that is some of the best lamb he's ever had in his life and he's 78 years old I do want to make a correction from a previous episode. I did say the number one thing we needed for homesteading was community. After this talk, the number one thing that you need to be successful in homesteading is a mindset. And the, the mindset shift and, and to have a positive mindset. I think that's absolutely critical to have to be successful. So we hope our talk was inspiring and those who have been doing homesteading for a while and those who are just getting into it, we just want to pass on just a few nuggets of what we're learning because we're learning every day. We're going through it. And in the middle of all of this, we just want to pass off in this episode, have that positive mindset. I mean, that is going to make all the difference so that make all your chores fun in a way and you'll be healthier for it. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for listening to us on this episode today on The New Rich and listening to us talk about our experiences and our the changes that we've had to go through ourselves in the last couple of years 
to define what that new rich looks like for us. And we encourage you to take the time and reflect on what that definition is for you. And if there's anything that we can do to help you along the way, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will hit that share button and share it with your friends and family. And don't forget to subscribe for updates on when our next episode will come live. Thank you, and we hope to see you soon. 